All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. In between. That's yes. it. That's, That's and it. this this is Scott. And this is Ollie. And, and, and here we are. And here we are together again. Again. People doubt it. Like who, it's who funny. Who could have imagined? <laughs> who could imagine? You know, and the the thing is that you know we're we're recording a couple weeks in advance, and so what's interesting is that the uh, our AI doctoral episode just dropped, like, like oh, yeah. last a couple of days uh-huh. ago, and so like that's how far uh, we are apart in terms of recording and 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 publishing. Um, and I got a couple, I got a couple of texts, I got a couple of texts about it. They're like, hey, are you guys okay? <laughs> Dude, yeah, we're okay. We're okay. Hater, haters got to hate, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, this is fifteen-year friendship is not going to, or even is it fifteen or more? Is it more, is more it, than fifteen? In fact, more, it's, a, it's a good uh, episode to discuss that because yeah, because uh, what we're going to be not, talking about it goes back on the wayback machine. Yeah, it's not going to end because of that conversation. It's like, not. We've, had, we've had more heated conversations than that. Indeed, we have. In public places, <laughs> I remember just recently we had one in a public place. We we're like, like shouting. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Shouting? I, I, I don't know. I was. I felt like I was shouting. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody, you know, that's a, a lyric from one of my favorite songs. I'm not shouting. I like to shout. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what it was. A little English beat for those of you who are yeah. trying to figure that out. Yeah, English beat, man. Good stuff. Well, that is not what we're talking about today. We are not talking about the English beat or shouting. Uh, We're going to actually talk about one of my articles. Sure. um, From the way back time. So um, to put this in context, well, first of all, uh, thanks to a friend of the show, Leslie Gates, for sending, pointing out this article and and, yeah. and then initiating a cryptic text exchange <laughs> between you and me. You're like, like, like it was literally this. Les- well, let's reenact it. <laughs> yes, Leslie texts me and says, "Hey, you guys talk about like transparency and things being visible and invisible. Has Scott ever written about that?" And I said, "I think he has." And so I text Scott asking for it. And he's like, "I don't remember writing about that. I, I don't know." If I well, in fairness, <laughs> what you what the text you sent me was. Have you ever written anything about transparency? And I'm like, oh shit, man! I don't know. Oh, sorry, I cursed. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you know, I was thinking like transparency and leadership because that's where my head right. is. Like uh, decision making, transparency. So I was like, well, I don't know. I don't think so. And then the article literally is the transparent and the invisible in yep. professional pedagogical vision for science teaching. Yep, there it is. It's right there in the title. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yep. And then. Yep. And then I said a text to Leslie. I'm like, I don't, Scott doesn't remember if he's published it. And then she sends me the link and then I send it to you, which is yeah. great. And yeah. I'm sure this is great listening to everybody yes. sitting out there at, at home going, wow, replay that conversation again. Right. Ollie. Yeah. Let's hear more about how old men have manatee brain and everything just <laughs> slides off that uh, smoothness into, yes. into the abyss. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. No, it's uh it's sad and true, but yes, I wrote an article. Um, It took, what probably six years to get published and i still can't remember it even though i probably and... wrote this i not only wrote this article but probably had to rewrite it five or six times and the funny thing is as i was preparing for the show and re- reading this yes i was this going i knew in advance yeah. i'm like hold on i think i'm a participant in this study Cor- correct <laughs> and i was like whoa 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 pump the brakes here 
Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Now yes, I'm angry. It, now I'm going to start shouting. <laughs> And yeah, so there, there you go. I, I do, I do remember doing this. I do yeah. remember doing engaging in this work because yeah. uh, this was like at the beginning of my doctoral work, and this is when we first came to Penn State. So this is going back to like two thousand and what five, five or, five or six, probably. Yep. Yeah. So we formed this group, this research group called ICUS, yeah, the Invisible well, College yeah. for Inquiry Science Studies studies there it is the last and mm-hmm. it was what a, a group of us it's probably like uh it was you me uh our friend brett Criswell, who's at uh westchester now mm-hmm. uh jason patula who's at um Millersville, right and curlin <laughs> steve curlin who's at yeah. uh the stroud water uh conservancy Consorci- yeah conservancy yeah. there you go is that it who else yeah, i think so um Doug there was, was um wasn't doug she- part of it too uh was Doug part of it? He might have been later. I mean Amber um and yep. Jesse, who were yep. pre-service teachers with us. Um Jason, there was the other Jason, um uh, B. Oh, that's right. Um, who went on to actually work with Mark Winshit a lot at UW. Really? Yeah. Wow, look at that. Um, but yes, and who else? Brandon Emig was there towards the end. Oh, think... Brandon, that's right. I don't know if and, you were still and there. Brandon is now like he's a computer dude now right he's like yeah he uh he developed a video um analysis piece of software which is interesting because this article that we're sharing is around studio code which was a video yeah. analysis software or still is a video analysis software that yeah. sort of like was one of the first ones of, of this there's tons of these now but this one was one that was originally from like sports if yeah. i remember correctly it was like fo- a football yeah so the um it was developed Basketball. for football and basketball and then they were like hmm what else can we do with this and they started to uh you know really promote it for for educational purposes like viewing a lesson and then you could code it you could code yeah. like certain instances you could develop your codes you could share codes across people and then you could share you know transcriptions and all kinds of stuff it was pretty yeah. cool it's a very sophisticated I, piece of software it still is and- i'm sure yeah, and I tried to bring it to Millersville. It just was too darn expensive for us. Yeah, and man. so when I came to Millersville, I was I, we're doing some work around this now, but we're not using Studio Code. We're using another platform. And yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. think Studio Studio Code now has become Mosaic, um, and they um, switched to mostly web based. So I don't, I at least for the education market. So that has that has changed. I mean, a lot of the landscape has changed. You know, we're talking about two, 20 years ago. Sure. So uh, it was a whole different universe. Like being able to put video online was clunky at best at that point, right? Like YouTube, when did YouTube start? About the same time, yeah, I would say. About, about I, in that same era. Yeah. And early YouTube videos were very janky and slow downloading and all the stuff. So any kind of um, technology that that used video and computers, like it was challenging. Like you had to have big hard drives, you had to have lots of stuff that now we completely take for granted. Well, I think that for you, you started becoming like this, I don't want to say like a prophet of video analysis, but you started doing this work with lots of folks showing how to do this. And you would, you know, do workshops at conferences and things like that. So you were at like really the cutting edge of this. um, And this article emerged out of that work. 
because yeah. it was not just about like, hey, let's code some stuff. Your question was really, okay, how do experts look at lessons differently than novices? That Yeah, and, that's what this article was about. Yeah. Right. And so I was in the expert group, right? I was an Correct. expert participant. There was a, and, and you could look through the participants and some of those are named people that we just said. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, so yeah. they're probably all named. Yeah. Um, we probably named them all. Yes. And so um, you had all of us look at the same lesson, an inquiry science lesson, mm -hmm. and code for instances in which uh, folks were engaging in inquiry. And, yep. and, then, and, and then giving some meaning to it. So this is, right. this is based on, at this point, my beginning noodlings or our beginning noodlings as a group around uh, Charles Goodwin's idea of professional vision, which has become a, a centerpiece of the way that I think about teaching and um but but essentially, he was a linguistic anthropologist, and he said, look, when people are in a practice and they're learning how to do things, they have these three key practices. One is highlighting, one is coding, and one is material representations of practice. And the idea is, if we're in a group and we're having a conversation about something, the first thing that has to happen is somebody has to identify something for us to talk about. It's like, oh, look over there. That's a thing. And then that's called highlighting, right? I've identified something we should talk about. And then we have a conversation about it and come up with a meaning for that thing. And that's coding, right? So now we agree that, oh, that thing means this. Um, and that's how you develop understandings about your practice is through highlighting and coding. And the material representations of practice are when you externalize that in some form that can be shared, right? So, um, and there's lots of ways that happens too. But this this article was um, sort of an initial attempt to look at differences between the way experts and novices engaged in that practice how do they how do they do that and and uh i was yeah i mean i used my pre-service teachers as the novices and then this um group of of sort of our research group um as the experts um and it was yeah i mean it's uh you know i mean nobody likes to in my experience nobody likes to look back at their old work um and this it, is it, like old work even though it was published yeah. in like 2016 yeah it was you know and this for, for listeners at home who don't engage in the peer review process and yeah. publication, let me give you a window into that world. Blech. Like this article was probably written in maybe 2010, maybe 2011. Yeah, probably before that even. But yeah. And then it takes so much time to get it to actually go through a review process. And I'm going to blame the editors here as looking at an editor right now or a, a soon to be editor, right, no. of a journal. I'm, I'm going to blame you because, yeah. um, I mean, th let's, let's face it, 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 it. I'm not I'm not actually blaming you. What I'm saying is that um, the editors play a pretty important role in this process because they have to find experts to review this. And sometimes that in itself is time consuming. And when you're getting flooded with manuscripts that can be like of different quality and different focus and things. And you, so you have to like you know, jury them and say, okay, is this something that our journal would even publish? Yeah. And is it of the quality that our, our, our journal would publish? And so that in itself is time consuming. And then finding experts, like, you know, I've, I've been working on an article just recently and it, the, the editor couldn't find experts to review it because there was not yeah. no expert reviewers in that area. And yeah. so we just pulled it and sent it to somebody else. And so that it's been gone from like a journal to another journal in the last like six, eight months. And it's now under review with another one, but it's been at that stage for two months, yeah. you know? Well, and two and we, months is short, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. 
I mean, these days you're lucky if you go from submission to publication in less than 18 months. And that's if everything goes pretty smoothly. So um, if, if after all that process, it ends up being a reject, you know, because you can get initially accepted, do revisions on a manuscript, resubmit it, and it ends up being rejected. Um, well, after all that time, you can't go back to that same journal. Right. You have to find a new journal. And so um, I'm sure this this one went through a couple journals. I don't remember. I've probably blocked it out of my memory. But And it's bad form to submit a journal, a, a submission, an article or proposed article or whatever to multiple places at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's a violation of ethic. Ethics. So most journals ask if you've submitted it somewhere else. Um, so it can you can get yourself in sticky wicket if if I, I know, but I and I agree with that. I'm I'm totally on board with that. But then editors have to editors and reviewers have to do the job a little more timely because this is yeah. you know this is impacting people's careers. And while you sure. and I are like sort of done with that, we've navigated that process. There are other folks that I worry about, like you yeah. know. I mean, that was the one thing that came out of the pandemic. I went to a, a mentoring conference, and this is completely off topic, but I think it's relevant, um, that I went to a conference where it was around mentoring, and they talked about mentoring of uh, junior faculty and publications and all this. And they talked about when the pandemic hit, that uh, they looked at the uh, number of submissions from folks during the pandemic, like mm-hmm. like the rate of submissions. And they found that that male authors – the submission rate went up, went up, and, yeah, for, the and the female author, authors went down. Yep. Well, it's classic, right? I mean, it's classic sure. sexism, and um, but I. So I think maybe we have a topic for another show. Where yes. We talk about the peer review process. Sure, we could do that because we've engaged on both. Yeah, yeah, we've both engaged on both uh, multiple, you know, sides of that. So, yeah. but that's not the point of this. It's not. No. Um, but I think I mean, for me, if I'm being honest, like. Looking back at this study, fine, it was a thing. Um, I think I think <laughs> wow. there are things in You're here. You're selling like, it, bro. You're selling I know. it. <laughs> well, like like table one makes me sad, which is like it's just a compilation of of how how many instances were marked by experts and novices and how long they were. Like that sort of information strikes me as not particularly useful. I mean, I think and it was the, just teacher candidates. The, the experts were on that table. Yeah. Well. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Teacher Kennedy. Um, yeah. So I was like, oh, where's yeah, that data? <laughs> yeah, probably. Who knows? Um, but uh, I mean, for me, I think a lot of this was I was trying to write an article about something that I had noticed that I thought was interesting and that the field it would be useful for the field to think about. Um, and this was sort of just a vehicle to do that. I think there are some in the findings. I think there are some interesting bits in more detail when you talk about that. But I think but, the four emergent themes that you share are interesting and they're really good things for us to talk about, especially with preparing, you know, teachers or novices. Right. I think yeah. the first the first one. So I'll just I'll go through this. And so don't poo poo it. All right. Like, well, I know you're yeah, I'm not I don't know if you're being yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're being modest or going back and looking at this and being, you know, more critical of your work. But I think there's value here. And and yeah, the first thing so, too, I'm not I'm not trying to poo poo it. I just wish I hadn't put that table in there because I don't think that really adds. Anything, but OK, hey, at least it didn't have a diagram. At least you didn't have some like didn't have a model. No, no model. No. Big gigantic. You didn't have arrows. With arrows, yeah, and and overlapping circles with, yeah. yeah. All right. So the first, 
theme, the first emergent theme or categories, you said the uh, from this qualitative analysis between the uh, teacher candidates and the expert teacher participants, interpretation of classroom practices, they were characterized in four categories, actor focus, questions, grain size, and enactment. So I, I think the actor focus is the one personally that I find is the most interesting because it's the one thing where I, I when I'm working with teacher candidates, I say, when you spend more time thinking about the students in the classroom and what they're saying versus what you're saying, yeah. that's when you know you're transitioning as 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 a teacher, as as yeah. a, a you're developing expertise because, you know, I use this analogy. And I don't know if I've ever actually used this analogy with in, in the podcast, but I I'm a euchre player. You're a euchre player too, mm-hmm. right? Yep. For for people who aren't euchre players, it's kind of like baby bridge. It's like yeah. you you play with a partner, and you're trying to play collect tricks. Yeah. Tricks, yeah. And and it's a lot like bridge in that there's a trump suit and so on. But the important thing isn't the rules of the game. It's you're playing with a partner, hmm. and novice euchre players are always playing for their hands in their hand. Like, hmm. okay, this is what I I have to play. This is what I have to play. When you start to develop as uh, expertise as a player, you realize that you have a partner that you're playing with, and your goal is to try to get into their hands so that then they can pass it back to you. And so you're playing in collaboration with somebody else. It's a give and take. Mm-hmm. And yep. so you're putting in almost like a bid, you know, and then opening up someone else's hand so that they can play their hand and then maybe send it back to you. And when that happens, it's magic. Mm-hmm. And so that analogy, I think, is a really good for one for like discourse in a classroom. Yep. Because yep. you're a teacher and you're like putting out a bid and you're trying to open it up for students to play their hand, which is yep. like their knowledge, their expertise, their understanding. Yeah. And then yeah, that gives good. you something to play on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, and then when it's going well, it feels magical. Right. It feels like right. both of you are learning together and it's this. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, I think that was, uh, I mean, I think in fairness, that was a, on some level, a relatively well-known finding, like, so sure. that was sort of my softball in that I knew that this was a thing in the field, right. That, that novice teachers tend to focus on the teacher when they're watching practice, mm-hmm. they don't yeah. tend to watch as students, but you know, having data that supported that is not altogether bad. Um, so the next one questions was just about how they viewed questions, um, so, so that was, you know, inquiry. So this is back in the day of inquiry, right? So this is back in when the, we're talking about the, the national science education standards and inquiry in the national science education standards, which was published in what, 89, 90, somewhere in there, 92, I don't yeah. know, somewhere so- in there. So we're, we were not NGSS yet. There was nothing, there were no practices it was inquiry. And so we were looking at that and questions were a core piece of that, but questions were not a particularly well-articulated idea in inquiry. It was sort of like, well, there's the scientific questions that you're trying to answer, but but the classroom questions, the way that you question in classrooms was still very much a new field, which was about to explode, right? And, and the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years is all about questioning and discourse and claims evidence reasoning and all this stuff that came along to try and characterize the the classroom discourse. Um, But at this stage, we're just noticing that basically 
beginning teachers just look for any question. And if there was a question, then they assumed it was inquiry, right? Okay, well, right. the teacher asked a question and the student answered it. So therefore, that's inquiry. And the the experts were much more sophisticated about which questions really were good questions and which questions were just questions. I mean, we used to call them guess my head questions, right? Which is like, right. what's Newton's second law? And I just wait for the answer. I'm not, there's no, there's no thinking required of the student. They either know this answer or they don't. Yeah, it's like Bueller- Bueller, you know, that kind yeah, of... Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. The smoot, what is it? Smoot something yeah. treaty? Yeah, no, it's, it's a what? curve. It's a curve. Is it's it a, a curve? Yeah, I okay. think it is a curve. Yeah, it's like the... Anyone, uh, anyone. Anyone, anyone. Bueller. Yeah, that's that's a way outdated reference. Like, yes, there's yes. like, you know... But, you know, Ferris Bueller is one of those movies that I think uh, still has legs. I think kids today have seen Ferris Bueller. The kids today, kids I don't today. know. Some of them. Yeah. I mean, they're watching Friends, for God's sakes. Yeah. Yeah, and, they are. And Grey's Anatomy. Uh, I have never seen a single episode of Grey's Anatomy. Mm. Not wow. not one. Wow. I know. I know, I don't know why that is. It wasn't like I have a, you know, a visceral. Aversion to it. Aversion to it. No. I just yeah. have never watched an episode. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the, the third uh, category theme developed was this idea of grain size. Yeah. So it's like, and, the, and and I love like that 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 sort of like conceptualization grain size mm-hmm. has a lot of has a lot of legs and applicability. Like I I, I use that I use that with a lot of things when I talk about yeah. like you know hey like what what grain size are we talking about here and this is a, a science thing specifically earth science you know because like yep. that's how they char- characterize you know stones and rocks, rocks and yeah yeah and so um you know i i don't need to unpack this do i like small no, I don't small so. things versus big things right yeah but in and this so, case go ahead yeah, go no ahead. god yeah, yeah it's your work you know well, you, yeah you know I, I mean i i think the thing that was important about this particular one is that the idea was more sophisticated teachers would look at longer chunks of practice to make evaluations of it, right? So instead of just saying, oh, there that is inquiry because I just saw that most most of the expert teachers wanted it to unfold more, which going back to that data table and why there's only one for teacher candidates is a lot of the expert teachers either didn't code or they coded huge long sections of stuff because they they said the only way you could tell whether it was inquiry was to see all of this stuff cascading over time to see how it how it played out essentially because you couldn't tell just from the initial question. Yeah, I think this is best captured in the the quote you shared. Um it says from the data this is a, one of the expert teachers in the group says, I, I would need to see all or part of the following related lessons to be able to tell if it was an inquiry lesson or not. Yeah. You know, so he's he or she was pulling out and saying, you know, hey, this this is this is interesting, but I can't really say if it's inquiry or not because I would need to see how it fits in with everything else. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I currently have a, a paper that I'm co-author on with Craig Ray, who is a postdoc here at Penn State for a while with me. And um, it's about teacher talk. And and what it is about is these, how you use small um, individual turns of talk to build up patterns that lead to norms in the classroom. And that's really what this grain size thing is about, is that 
it's not so much attending to the small pieces that are important, but trying to understand that those small pieces are part of a larger pattern that you're trying to establish in the classroom. Um, and that's what these experts were recognizing at that point, right? Which is, you know, what that inquiry and inquiry is a big messy blob that wasn't deconstructed very well um, at this point. Um, but to see inquiry, you had to see bigger chunks because you couldn't tell just from small instances what was going on there. Yeah, I think that like the changing of lens is something that's important for teachers, regardless of the stage they're in, because yeah. one of the things that like whenever we talk to like new teachers, they're like focused on a, a lesson, right? A single lesson, maybe even parts of a lesson. And, yep. you know, we start to get them to think about, OK, how does this fit into the overall unit? And yep. then we start to say, okay, how does this unit fit within the overall year, the academic year? Right. And then we say, okay, how does that academic year fit in with the overall science curriculum? Of, and those are hard questions because, you know, it's just pulling out, pulling out. It's like one of those, what's that, that Eames video, right? Where it's like powers right, of 10, powers right? of 10 scale where video. you're like scaling out, right? And it's hard yeah. to see when, you, when you're like at the, you know, in the field with the picnic, you know, it's hard to see, okay, what's happening in the whole park, right? Right. When you zoom out, yeah, and that's really hard for students, like novice teachers, it's really hard because they're just focusing on, I have this thing to perform today, this lesson mm -hmm. to perform. And they view it from that, going back to the actor focus thing, this is a thing, it's a performance thing, and I have a script, and this is, and it's like, no, that's not what you're doing today, right. you know? Yeah. It's not a, it, it, you're, you're, or it's, you know, maybe it is a script, but you're not acting alone. You're acting with. Right. Yes. It's a, it's a, it's a script where half of the script is unscripted and you don't have control yeah. of it, but yeah. Well, and that goes to the last finding here, which is about enactment and this idea that the expert teachers differentiated between the plan and the enactment, right? So the novice teachers would say, oh, well, the plan was an, an inquiry-based lesson, and therefore it's an inquiry-based lesson. And the teachers would say, oh, well, the plan may have been an inquiry-based lesson, but that doesn't mean that it was. Like, you have to right. look at how it played out in the classroom with students to know what kind of lesson it actually was. Yeah, that 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 is the, the other thing. You know, it's like, you know, your plans versus what you actually do. Yeah. 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 Intentions versus, you know, reality. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, and to go back, I, I think for me, which is like, why did I want to write this article and why did I, I mean, I think some of these findings are useful. I think they can point to things that help pre-service teachers or teacher educators think about how to, to develop um, teaching practices. But I think one of the big ones for me was just the title of the article was the thing that I found most compelling in these findings, which is that the practices that we were trying to develop in these pre-service teachers were um, invisible to them. So they would watch teaching and they couldn't see what we needed them to see to be able to learn how to teach. But the flip side of that was that for the experts, it was often transparent. That's where the transparent part comes from, um, that it was transparent to them what they were doing. They would just do what they were doing and they knew what they were doing was the right thing to be doing but they couldn't articulate it in a way that um, was externalized easily. Yeah. The, the, this was a thing that came up a lot in, in our conversations, like going back, I'm trying to put myself into that, that space, which is that, you know, that tacit knowledge piece, 
I, no. that's, I mean, really what you're trying to unpack here is, you know, the things that, you know, get developed in practice by experts, by working and then and trying to uncover what that is and trying to get them to be more explicit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what this effort is. It's like the, what's that transparent knowledge? What are the transparent things that teachers and experts hold and how can we make others be able to see that? Yeah. And I, and I think for me, one of the things that was interesting is since this article, there's, you know, I've continued to do work in this area and, um, and be interested in this question. And we, you know, again, to refer to newer work, there's another paper that um, we wrote about a mentor teacher and a novice teacher working together. And they're, they're, the expert teacher, the mentor is trying to help the novice learn, right? And so it's similar to this context and tells this, this novice, go over there and ask them this question. And so the novice teacher does this, but the novice teacher doesn't have the framework for why they're asking the question. Yeah. And so it doesn't work very well. They go over and it sort of like doesn't achieve the goal that they're trying to accomplish. And then the mentor teacher can go over and do it himself. And and so you're wondering like, what's going on there? Well, there's a lot of tacit knowledge or transparent knowledge that he's using that that the the novice doesn't have access to. And it changes the way that they do their implementation. Right. Anything else you want to say about this? This awesome article, this awesome researching foundation shaking article. Um, No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's a, you know, I, it's hard, you know, it's hard to look back at your own work. I think for, at least for me, because there's so many things I would write differently now that I would say differently now. Um, like the table, you would include more data in the yeah, table. Would, yeah, more data. Not enough data here in the data. Right. Um, I, but, I find it surprising that like there's a, there's just a brief, uh, you know, examination or introduction of the expert teachers and the teacher candidates. Like it is brief. It is like yeah. you just for qualitative work that is like like you know nothing about them except for they ranged experience from seven to fifteen years. Yep. Yeah. yeah, well, in their, in their mean, content area, that's probably li- limited by space. So I'm not like, you yeah. know, just, you know, no, critique. I think, I mean, I think school science and mathematics, the journal that this, this article is in, I think they had a very um, strict length limit. This is again, right. back in the days when we had physical journals and journals cared about that. Like these days, increasingly journals don't care at all about that. Cause they're like, yeah. well, what's what we don't have physical. Most journals now are going fully digital. They don't have journals they're getting away from even the idea of issues right so manuscripts it's just are like just gonna be publishing published. it online yeah. yeah online yeah well there and is. the early you know i just found this out because i didn't know this but um when you're if you publish an article and it goes up in what they call early view in in some journals that probably has different names in different journals but early view is like your journal your article is published on the website but it's not included yet in an issue um, so it doesn't have an issue number and a page number and all that stuff. Um, that now is considered the official publication date, even though the, oh. even though the journal issue may come out later. So that actually just came up into my class this weekend. Like I had class on Saturday, and someone asked that specific question, and I didn't yeah. know the answer. And it's yeah, funny I that it comes up. Yeah, that's wild. So that now wild. you know. I mean, again in probably just a few years from now, we will not have issues. I don't, it'll be interesting to see how things like APA respond to that. Like how do you cite an article 
that um, doesn't have an issue number or page numbers, like you could just do the pages of the article, but um, you know, from one to nine or whatever it is for the length of the article. But, um, but yeah, it's an interesting question. Is it just going to be the DOI? Is it just going to be the, right. the direct object identifier, the URL basically for that manuscript? I mean, who knows, but, um, but there's going to be changes rippling through academia around, around this digital publication stuff. I could say with re- reasonable certainty that I did not expect us to talk about direct object identifiers today. No. I did not expect that, but no. thank you. Thank you for sharing. That. You're welcome. And I don't, does this one even have a direct object identifier? Must. Uh, I think it does. Yeah. 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 Cause you, you want to have that like written down someplace so you can. Well, yeah, I should put it somewhere. I mean, I, I have a copy of the paper. A di- well, I have a quote unquote copy. I have a digital artifact that is that paper on my, on my computer. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, anyway, let's, let's go to Joyce. Yeah. You got, you got a joy? Uh, I do have a joy. Um, I, so, uh, I have, I was sick over the weekend, so I spent a lot of time in bed, uh, watching things on Netflix or whatever, um, whatever one does when one is ill and not wanting to get out of bed. So, um, in that I, I stumbled upon a, what, what I guess is an epic stand up thing which i've never seen like this before uh it was it was it was p- pitched as four episodes and it is broken into chunks but it clearly happened all in one night with one stand-up comedian um and the comedian's name is james a caster he's british um and it's uh i think it's called repertoire i'll find it i, I off the top of my head but it's it's uh it, i've i found it um it's very alt comedy it's he's very um uh like it's i don't know how else to describe it he, he's you know it's fascinating it's not sort of observational strictly speaking like in a jerry seinfeld you know way like what's the deal with you know reservations or whatever it is <laughs> <clears throat> he doesn't it's but it's like well, it's uh, it's like a narrative. He he weaves through and does callbacks throughout to different parts of these different episodes. Um, but it's yeah, it's and it's it's sort of a loop. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating piece uh, in and of itself. But I really enjoyed it. It's not like there are laugh out loud funny bits of it, but it's not like that. It's not like hilarious guffawing laugh out loud stuff. It's like subtle and I mean, I guess in that sense it's very British. Um yeah. but you know, it's it's uh it's really funny and he's he's just got a great um affect to him that I I found really, you know, endearing. It's definitely nerdy comedy though. It's not like um it's it's I, I don't want to call it highbrow because that's not what it is, but it's but it's definitely more um sort of yeah alt comedy it's a little more intellectual sort of thinking man's comedy to some degree um which i guess makes sense for the kind of thing that i'd be interested in being yeah that's nerd. cool i'm yeah. i'm a fan of english comedy yeah like i you know i'm a big fan of like uh graham norton mm. you know and like what's that four cats four cats does you ever see this it shows up on my instagram fan uh no four cats yeah, well, I, that's not my. I'll, I'll, no, I'll yeah, skip that I'll for the that. day. Yeah. yeah, but uh, that's that's a British uh, comedy show. 
But my my joy, that's a good one, Scott. I'll check yeah. that out. The uh, my joy is I, I've talked about this in previous episodes. Like my, it's always my goal, you know, for Academy Award season to like try to see as many of the movies as possible. And usually, I'm really good at some categories and really bad at some some others. Sure. But um, so this, you know, past weekend I had some time on my hands, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna spend some time with the documentary areas because oh. that's like an area that's you know. Usually, especially documentary shorts, those are like the a real area of weakness for me because I, uh, one, I'm not really that interested in documentaries very often. Yeah, and uh, and two, um, I don't really have access that often, or I, at least I didn't think I did. So I said, okay, I'm going to look at the list and see which ones I have access to. And so I I watched probably like three or four of them this weekend, hmm. and some of them are short in that like they're like really short, like eight minutes. Yeah. But the one I want to share with you is a little longer. It's 40 minutes. Okay. So it's a 40 minutes. Okay. It's not a full movie. It's called The Last Repair Shop. The Last Repair Shop. Okay. Yeah. So it's off your radar, but this is something you need to check out. It's I, I saw it through Hulu, I think. So The Last Repair Shop hmm. is a musical repair shop in the Los Angeles School District. So okay. it's the Long Los Angeles Unified School District. They run a repair shop to repair all of the all of the musical instruments oh, sure. that are used within the district. Makes sense. And they do it for free. So any kid oh. who has an instrument who needs it repaired, So it's not just the ones that are owned by the school district. Any kid I, th- I think it's anybody can have their wow. instruments repaired. That's impressive. It is awesome. It is awesome not only because this thing exists, but the 40 minutes is is about the repair shop. They interview so they have somebody who repairs pianos and tunes pianos. They have another person who you know, does brass, another one who does woodwinds, another one mm. who does string instruments. And so they interview these four or five people from the different, you know, parts of that. But you you soon realize that it's it's they talk about repairing instruments, but it's really about repairing themselves. Yeah. Nice. And how how this process has helped them grow and develop and, and, and heal. And then how they view their work with the students they serve. It is awesome. As nice. a, as a, as a musician, as somebody who, Oh, you know, sure. A, of course. You know, I, I'm a, you know, a, a budding musician or like a, right. somebody who, who struts a struggling Asp- musician, aspirational aspiring or whatever you want to use. Like, you know, somebody who, you know, messes around with this. I just found it so touching because, you know, I, I know the the role that music's played in my life and I just, you know, they inter, they intermix kids, you know, kids and they interview kids and they talk about their instruments, which is just, it's just nice. It's so yeah. heartwarming. I'm getting a little teary. I just talking about <laughs> it, <laughs> which is really like the thing, like that's, that's why I like to watch movies is that I, I like to feel things and, and really good movies make you feel or help you feel yeah. and like, the, and you know, help you see things and understand things and you know, develop empathy for things that you didn't know or you, you might forget. Yeah. yeah. So that That's this a, is, yeah, it's a great one. It cool. really is. Right. The last repair shop. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of those. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, I, got, I it's got the feels. Yeah. All the feels, all mm. of the feels. Yeah. So here nice. you go. There you go. A couple good recommendations and a oh, great article to talk about. You know, we there did. You go. Yeah. What else could yeah. you ask for? Yeah, it was. A, this is a really, it's a good episode, Scott. 
Nice work. What were you going to say? I feel like you were going to say something other than good. <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Awesome. All right. And we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Uh, yeah, I guess by now. <laughs>